welcome to the preaching ministry of Port St. Lucie Bible Church. We are a Christian church whose goal is to faithfully preach Christ from Scripture so that we might better love and serve Him. We pray that this message from God's Word would engage your mind with the truth and inspire your heart to obey Christ. Here's today's message. Folks, if you would please turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 24 now. Luke chapter 24. We're going to come to a notorious appearance of the resurrected Christ, commonly referred to as the road to Emmaus. It it is an unusually long narrative. Uh, It continues all the way to verse 35 and, and even beyond as it actually sets up. This passage sets up Jesus' first appearance to the entire twelve, which now have become, with the departure of Judas, uh, the eleven. The dialogue that we see is it's a magnificent exchange, uh, so I did did really want to find a way to treat this entire piece at one sitting, yet that would keep us here till about 6 p.m. today. And, and I just didn't know if we would all make it. In fact, I probably wouldn't be able to last either. Uh, so I've decided to break this passage into two manageable bites, which should, as usual, excuse us with plenty of time to reach Casa Amigos in time for lunch. I did not get paid to say that either. But I should. I should get paid to say that. I've decided to take us as far as verse 25 today. Um, the first half of this passage, we're going to address a problematic condition of two men that are walking along the road, uh, returning home from Jerusalem after Passover. Uh, Then next Sunday, we're going to resume again at verse 26 to carefully analyze Jesus' solution to their problem. So today, we'll discuss their current condition, and next week, Jesus' solution to their current condition. Let's begin by reading from Luke chapter 24, starting at verse 13. This scene is late afternoon, the same day that the women found the tomb of Jesus empty uh, earlier in the morning. So this is still Resurrection Sunday. And behold, two of them were going that very day to a village named Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things which had taken place. While they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them. But their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. And Jesus said to them, What are these words that you are exchanging with one another as you are walking? And they stood still, looking sad. One of them, named Cleopas, answered and said to Jesus, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things which have happened here in these days. And Jesus said to them, What things? And they said to him, The things about Jesus the Nazarene, who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word, in the sight of God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to a sentence of death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, it is the third day since these things happened. But also some women amongst us amazed us when they were at the tomb early in the morning 
and did not find his body. They came, saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who had said that he is alive. Some of those who were here with us went to the tomb and found it just exactly as the women also had said, but him they did not see. And Jesus said to them, O foolish men, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. You know, I I imagine most everyone here has at one time or another experienced an adolescent in the home. I know that my wife uh, complains about it regularly, um, almost daily. But one common mark of most youth is that they are selective of hearing, right? Selective of hearing. It isn't usually that they are hard of hearing. Actually, their hearing is usually pretty good. Instead, there are certain things they want to hear and other things that they simply refuse to hear. It's, it's, it's a choice with our teenagers, isn't it? And I see a lot of finger pointing going on out there. Commands like, do your homework, take out the trash, pick up your clothes and clean your room, just fall on deaf ears, completely deaf ears. Meanwhile, you can, stay, you can say uh, with the same tone or even a softer voice, uh, does anyone, anyone here want to go for ice cream? And they can snap right to attention, right? They're right up and ready to go. Uh, and we laugh about it, and we laugh because we, we recognize that this is a typical mark of immaturity. Once they grow, their ears will easily pick up more serious things, uh, like hearing that the, the electric bill is overdue. And they'll say, uh-oh, we hear everything when it gets serious as we get older. So we realize that our children sometimes selectively decide what they do and what they do not want to hear. Selective hearing is not what we observe in this passage. Instead, what we have are two individuals who cannot understand, they cannot nor could they understand what's happening with, uh, concerning this whole, this whole Passover event with Jesus. It isn't that they haven't both seen, at least some things, and also heard. In fact, they actually discuss and they recount, as we get into the narrative, all that transpired over the last several Days. They, they even tell Jesus himself what happened. Yet they are incapable of understanding the implications because they are spiritually deaf and spiritually blind. Deaf and blind. They have the same condition as the twelve experienced in our earlier scripture reading that I read to you from Luke chapter 18. There Jesus himself explained to the disciples in verse 31. Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and all things which are written through the prophets about the Son of Man will be accomplished. For he will be handed over to the Gentiles, and will be mocked and mistreated and spit upon. And after they have scourged him, they will kill him. And the third day he will rise again. But the disciples understood none of these things. 
And the meaning of this statement was hidden from them, and they did not comprehend the things that were said. The meaning of the things that Jesus had said were hidden from them. The term hidden there, it's, it's written in what is called a Greek passive voice. Passive meaning those individuals didn't have a say in it. The disciples in Luke 18 did not have a say in it. These two men here uh, that are on the road to Emmaus, uh, this concealing originated from outside of them, from beyond them. It isn't something that came from within them. They were passive, passive subject in, uh, when we described that this meaning was hidden from them. And back when we studied Luke 18, I drew attention to how it is, it is not a random coincidence. It is not a random coincidence, I will emphasize again, that the very next scene displays Jesus miraculously healing blind Bartimaeus. That, folks, that is a deliberate scriptural correlation. That is there deliberately. Uh, the twelve were spiritually blind, is what we are to conclude. But Jesus is the one who miraculously gives sight to the blind. Okay, That's what we were to conclude um, in Luke chapter 18. The nature of that healing was to emphasize that old Bartimaeus, he, he didn't just have dull sight. Didn't have some glaucoma or maybe a little bit of cataract and, you know, needed to be led a little closer into the light so that he could see better. Blind Bartimaeus had no sight. No sight, which necessitated divine intervention. That Luke 18 text, folks, it, is, it was established as a prototype for, for this road to Emmaus. A prototype for the road to Emmaus. These two travelers now, they are also spiritually blind. Uh, they also possess all of the same information that the twelve had back in Luke chapter 18. In fact, they actually have more information than the twelve had. And they too cannot understand for the same reason it is because the meaning is hidden from them. Echoing back to blind Bartimaeus in that passage, what do you think Jesus might do for these two fellows as we get further on down the narrative? In a mere reflection of Luke chapter 18, Jesus is going to open their eyes as well. But not until next week, okay? This week, they're still blind. They're going to stay blind for another week. But folks, they have seen and they have heard plenty. Plenty. They can even recite all this evidence to Jesus as he walks on the road beside them. Yet their eyes are prevented from recognizing him. Can't recognize him. Uh, this spiritual blindness. It, folks, it is a universal condition of humanity. Spiritual blindness, a universal condition of humanity it's the reason that 1 Corinthians 2 verse 9 says this, No eye has seen, nor has any ear heard, and it has not entered the heart of man all that God has prepared for those who love Him. 
But God has revealed it to us through His Spirit, right? God has revealed the truth through the Holy Spirit. Uh, people, people dwell in spiritual darkness, meaning they, they remain spiritual blind, spiritually blind and deaf until God reveals His Son through the Holy Spirit. Jesus stated in John 6, verse 65, For this reason I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted him from the Father. In verse 6, verse 44, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. Then it's followed with a promise. And I will raise him up on the last day. So, so God's grace is also irresistible. In John 6, verse 37, Jesus declares, All that the Father has, uh, has given to me will come to me. And, and the one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. So God bestows, He grants an effectual calling and an irresistible calling. It's effectual and irresistible grace. So for the two men on this road, they possess all this information. All kinds of information. But their spiritual condition remains blind. They have got to have their eyes opened up. Uh, Everybody knows, we all know that uh, curing blindness, that that takes a divine miracle. God has to intervene. Uh, Boy, aren't you glad that you know, our spiritually dead and depraved condition isn't, isn't described in Scripture as like spiritual eczema. You know, we, we would think, well, just rub a little cream on it and it'll get better. It's not like that at all. It's blindness. It's always described as blindness and deadness and deafness. Let's look at the narrative a little closer. Verse 13 begins in this way. And behold, two of them were going that very day to a village named Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were, get this, they were talking with each other about all of these things which had taken place. And while they were, again, talking and discussing, Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them. So there's repeated emphasis in this verse here how they were talking and discussing, discussing and talking as Jesus himself approaches. And what we have to acknowledge, have to acknowledge this, their problem isn't a lack of more information. Information is not the problem. They they know everything that has happened. But they still cannot see why the Christ would have to suffer and die and then rise again on the third day. They can't see it. They just don't understand. Um, Many of us, while growing up, learned to memorize uh, the creeds. Some some like the Nicene Creed, which contains a lot of information about Christ being uh, crucified uh, for our sins, dead and buried on the third day, he's rose again. And we, we memorize these things from a youth. I know as, as I was in Sunday schools, in, in my youth, I learned to memorize the order of the books of the Bible. And I memorized the Ten Commandments as we're doing uh, with the youth right now. And uh, I, 
I could recite a lot of information. But folks, regurgitating information alone, it does not save. That's just liturgy. If the Spirit is not included, uh, information alone cannot save. Folks, Christianity is not just about reciting facts. It's not just repeat after me. Uh, We're not mastering an art of social conditioning uh, with our people like the cults do. That they just say it again and again and again, and eventually the subject yields and says, okay, okay, I'll say it too. That is not Christianity. True Christians recognize that something more has got to occur than the transfer of information. That there has got to be a spiritual rebirth. You must be born again. And the Holy Spirit, we're told in the Gospel of John, moves like the wind. You, you cannot see it, nor do you know where it is going. You can hear it, but you don't know from where it comes or where it is going. And it says, so is everyone who is born of the Spirit, right? Everyone. It isn't an isolated or rare anomaly. To be assured, possessing correct information about Jesus, that's essential. We, we must have correct information, good doctrine, but information alone is still not adequate to save. Information alone can't save. You know, Jesus is going to teach us a thing or two next week about evangelism. It's going to be very important. Uh, but the fact that information alone cannot save, uh, this is the reason that Scripture teaches people to pray for the salvation of others. Uh, It's because God is in control. We pray to God because God has something to do with it. Uh, There'd be nothing more futile, nothing more futile, really and discouraging and disheartening, but nothing more futile than praying to, and I'm going to put this in quotes, praying to a God who can neither... uh, do anything about a spiritual condition or somehow hindered beyond his power to do anything about someone being saved. There'd be nothing more futile than praying to a God who cannot save, who is limited in some way to save. Um, it, would be futile, uh, it would be futile to speculate that God lacks in power. Um, when it comes to this blindness, we go back to Luke chapter 4. We studied this early in this book and uh, Jesus there, when he, when he gets in front of the synagogue early in his ministry, he says what? He says, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me to what? Yeah, he's anointed me to preach the gospel of the good news. And, and he says also to proclaim the release of the captives, and you finish it out, and restore sight to the blind. Restore sight to the blind. We see in verse 16, their eyes are prevented from recognizing Jesus. They're spiritually blind. They they can't see Him. Uh, Notice what it does not say. It does not say that they failed to recognize Jesus. They didn't fail to recognize Jesus. It wasn't that they didn't get a great glimpse of, So they really didn't see who it was at first. No, it says their eyes were prevented from recognizing Jesus. 
They were prevented. And just as in Luke chapter 18, that too, as I said earlier, is written in the Greek passive. The source of their impediment originates from beyond them. Not from within them, but from outside of them. And next we see Jesus probing their discussion. He's going to get in now and ask some questions about things. He said to them, What are these words that you are exchanging with one another as you are walking? Gives the idea of bantering back and forth, this discussion again that these two men were having. What are these words that you are exchanging with one another as you're walking? And they stood still uh, looking sad. One of them named Cleopas answered and said to Jesus, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things which have happened here in these days? Wow. Boy, the response of old Cleopas. Um, that clarifies exactly they've got all kinds of information. It authenticates the extent of their knowledge. And they, they presumed that everybody in Jerusalem had heard what had happened to Jesus. The execution of Christ, it wasn't performed under a bushel. It wasn't a small, isolated thing. Uh, it, it became a complete spectacle to the nation. The crucifixion of Christ was a spectacle. And this is one of the reasons, by the way, that 49 days later, on the day of Pentecost, again another Sunday, uh, that Peter can stand up in front of the thousands of people and say this, You know Jesus the Nazarene. He was was a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst. Just as you yourselves know. That's Acts 2 verse 22. Then then Peter ends up preaching to them a long sermon about uh, Christ's crucifixion, His death, and then the resurrection. And did those people, if you reflect back to Acts chapter 2, did those people respond by saying, Who? What? What are you talking about? Someone crucified... Uh, who was doing miraculous acts. No, they, they didn't respond like that at all. Everybody knew what had happened to Jesus, and the crowds respond instead by asking, what then shall we do? We know what has happened to Jesus. What shall we do? And Peter gave them the same answer that he's given uh, uh, to each of us here today. He's given it to you. It says, repent, each and every one of you, Be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For this promise is for you and your children, and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord will call to Himself. And with many other words, Peter solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, as he still does today through the Holy Word. Folks, be saved from this perverse generation. That is the call that goes out. Be saved. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. It says, so then, those who had received His word, meaning these were believers, those who received His word were baptized, and that day there were added to them about 3,000 souls. They knew what had happened to Jesus. They knew exactly what had happened. They had all kinds of information. So we cannot conclude that they simply needed more information. These men on the road to Emmaus just didn't need a little more 
information. Uh, For all of us sitting here today, for everyone here, we have plenty of information. There is no shortage of information. Um, The preaching of Peter at Pentecost reminded Israel they already had the same information that Cleopas had. Everybody's got information. Seems everybody knows something about Jesus. What they were missing during those 49 days was a conviction of sins. What they were missing was the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit. I have to ask, folks, do you, do you, speaking of the conviction of sins, do you recognize your personal sin and the offense that you are to God through what you've done? It doesn't get bridged often enough. Christ is holy and sinless. Sinless perfection. And, and the idea gets passed around is uh, all we got to do is just be as, as close to Him as we can. You know, can we just give our best effort and maybe we can be a lot like Jesus. And maybe if we're a lot like Jesus, then maybe God will accept us. Uh, sadly, what we have earned through our sin... It's eternal condemnation. Every single one of us deserves death because we have sinned. Scripture says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. One reason that we likely don't see more people saved, one reason is probably because we've mistakenly concluded that evangelism is merely a process of transferring more information. We conclude if we will just get them some more information then eventually they'll have to come around. Uh, Somebody will hear us over time. Eventually they will conclude somehow from within and say, I need Jesus. That somehow this is something from within the individual sinner who is dead, actually. But folks, the truth is most have enough information. Most of us have enough information. Uh, Around America, people have got all kinds of information. What you need, what you need is to be convicted of your sins. The sexual immorality, the hatred, the greed, everything that we do that is an offense to God and not in harmony with, harmony with His Word is, is a separation from Him. We don't have any other hope except for the sinless Son of God died for our sins on the cross. He paid the penalty for us. That's our only hope. What these people... Uh, in our story as well, they need a conviction of sins, a washing and regeneration of the Holy Spirit. And folks, you today, you must be born again. You must be born again. And Christians need to plead. This is what we need to do sometimes, rather than just conclude, well, what they need is more information. Christians need to plead for the Holy Spirit to intervene. We need to believe the Holy Spirit actually can intervene. And here's one of the biggest problems. Sometimes we just think that God can't do anything about it. We're not praying to the God of Scripture when we think that God can't do anything about it. Except you trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, you're going to perish in your sins. But most of us here don't need more information. What we need is a conviction of sins by the Holy Spirit. What you need to do is trust in Jesus Christ and believe it. Trust and believe it. Consider all the information. Consider all the information these two on the road to Emmaus possess. 
in verse 19, Jesus says, you know, tell me about some of these things that have happened. And they said to him, the things about Jesus the Nazarene, who was a prophet mighty in deed and word in the sight of God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to the sentence of death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, it is the third day since these things happened. But also some women amongst us amazed us. When they were at the tomb early in the morning and did not find his body, they came, saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. They got news that he's alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it exactly as the women also had said, but they did not see him. So not only have they heard that he's alive, they've got another witness saying these things are so. Uh, You know, folks, think of what they said. Jesus is a mighty prophet. He was powerful in word and in deed. He was sentenced to death by crucifixion. They, They thought he was going to redeem Israel, so they viewed him as the Messiah, They thought he was genuinely the Christ. They knew he was buried in a tomb. They knew that there was many witnesses now that are saying that the tomb is empty. So this, again, is a bodily resurrection, as we said two weeks ago. And uh, they got reports that he is alive. Folks, what more do you need? What more do you need? This passage suggests that they have an enormous amount of of other supplemental information. The problem is that the veil still remains over their heart. They cannot see. The veil must be removed. But here's some more of the information that Jesus points to. Verse 25, he said to them, O foolish men, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. All that the prophets have spoken. Did they already have plenty of Scripture? They had tons of Scripture. Lots of Scripture. Moses and all the prophets. They didn't have insufficient information. Jesus chides them for not believing Moses and all the prophets. And everything that Moses and all the prophets had said about Christ. They knew that Isaiah wrote that the Christ was going to be pierced through for our transgressions, uh, crushed for our iniquities. They knew that the Scripture said that all of us like sheep have gone astray. Uh, Each of us has turned to our own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on Him. There's a substitution right there. They have had this for centuries. For centuries. They couldn't put two plus two together. When it was read to them in the synagogue, my servant will justify the many, and he will bear their iniquities. How much clearer can you get? That's Old Testament, folks. That is the Old Testament, Isaiah 53. Uh, But because of their spiritual blindness, they could not see him. They could not see his punishment on on the cross served as God's substitution them, And the two men on the road could not see uh, that death, that death that Jesus suffered is what they deserved. That's, that's what they couldn't see. This is their lost condition. They're just blind. 
They're just spiritually blind. They cannot see what is the solution to their condition. What is the solution? As we know, we've already said that the Holy Spirit must convict of sins and, and regenerate their hearts, and only God Himself removes the veil. Think, look at this. Listen to this. 2 Corinthians 3.14 describes Israel saying, Their minds were hardened, for until this very day, at the reading of the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted, because it is removed in Christ. But to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their heart. But whenever a person turns to the Lord, that veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Liberty comes through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit regenerates the heart. This veil that, is, that lies over their heart, this blindness that they are suffering, it's got to be removed. It's got to be removed somehow. How, how is that veil lifted? We're going to learn that uh, next week when we discuss a woman named Lydia. If you want to read ahead, that's Acts chapter 16. That will probably be our scripture reading, actually. We don't lift the veil. We don't open the heart. We don't have that capacity. We can't do it. Uh, Neither can the individual that we are witnessing to. They are dead in their trespasses and sins, but it is God who makes them alive. God must lift the veil. What is our role then? What do we do as, as God's servants? What is our function? What, what do we control? What can we control? First, we're commanded to pray and seek open doors for the Word of God, for the salvation of souls. Uh, we also decide what methods of evangelism we're going to use, don't we? We decide what methods of evangelism we are going to employ with the spiritually deaf and blind. And some of them aren't so good. Some of them aren't so good. So next Sunday we're going to study evangelism according to Jesus. Evangelism according to Jesus. Look at the second half of this passage. How does the Lord Jesus evangelize these two men? And what is the pattern that he that he leaves for us. In fact, you probably should not be surprised it's the same pattern that the apostles themselves leave for us as well. It's the way that I got saved, whether you will believe it or not. It's the way that you got saved, if you are saved. Can't take everything for granted. Folks, there are lots of false ideas out there about how people get saved. I have a, a brother who a few years back, kind of a closing story here. I should have said family member, relative, right? Now I've kind of narrowed it down, haven't I? Um, talking about a place that had a magnificent Christmas program at their church. Magnificent program. Large church. They had dec- decorated up the set made it, put a lot of pizzazz into it, really decorated up nice. And they placed at the front a fancy Christmas arbor. You know an arbor? It was a fancy, all decorated up with all kinds of colors and everything. And uh, they had a fancy program, and the pastor declared, you need to be saved. 
He said, what you need to do to be saved, to accept Jesus, is come up front and walk through this arbor. His family member said, well, that's easy enough. Who wouldn't do that? And he said, said with a big smile, so I got up and I walked through the arbor. What does that tell people? What does that tell people? Folks, the condition is spiritual blindness. And next week, Jesus presents the only cure for spiritual blindness. I'm pretty sure it doesn't have any mention of an arbor. And we will see God himself will remove the veil and open their eyes. Only he can cure the blind. But according to his will, Christ has delegated to us a responsibility to pray and to witness and to evangelize. Uh, and, and we will see next week what evangelism should look like according to Jesus. Um, this, is, this is the one way people get saved. Did Alex have all of that information? No, all, all the information about Christ. No, we need to pray for his salvation. Let's pray for the unsaved. Father, these are pretty deep um, things to ponder, to consider about your sovereignty and your will and your power and uh, watching it work through people, especially to watch it work through you, Lord. And um, what, we, what we ask you to do is to be magnified in your power, that you would uh, convict people of their sins, that your spirit, that ministry you left to him, would, uh, would leave uh, on people's hearts today a spiritual conviction if they're not already. They don't know Christ, that they would recognize the offense that they have been uh, to you as a holy and righteous God, and that as we would witness to this community that you would send your Holy Spirit ahead, that people would be convicted before we get to them. Lord, and according to uh, your will, that uh, a door will be open for the word that we can witness to them. And Lord, as we teach them uh, what we're going to learn next week about the gospel, about the truth, and about scripture, that you'd find it pleasing in your sight that they would be spiritually regenerated and made alive by your power, Lord. Uh, there are many over the last week who we've witnessed to, and uh, many who, Lord, we're, we're calling out now uh, that you will save them from their sins because we know you can do something about it. And Lord, uh, uh, help us to be that good witness that speaks the truth in love, that, uh, uh, Lord, we remember that uh, it's Christ alone who saves, and that's a message of truth. Uh, of the gospel through which you work. In Christ's name we thank you. Amen.